0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Don't Sit in the Front. For this week's episode, I talked with Diana Hong. She's performed at the Portland Queer Comedy Festival, Women Crush Wednesdays at the Hollywood Improv, and she's also been passed at clubs around Northern California. She's also been a Comic of the Week on the Jackie and Lori Show, and you should go over and check out her episode of the Dork Forest with Jackie Cation. In this episode, we talked about her long path from a career as an aspiring professional golfer to her struggles with mental health and then eventually finding her career in stand up comedy. Just a content warning we do briefly mention mental health struggles and suicide around the 23 minute mark, and we talk about that for about two minutes. All's good now, as you'll hear, but I just wanted to give that warning for folks. Uh, It's a weird time to be talking and thinking about comedy with our country and the state that it is. But I think Diana's message about finding laughter in the dark moments and the always already political nature of stand-up comedy is important to think about as we look to finding justice and healing in different ways when our government and system are not providing that right now. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, We did a deep dive so it's a bit long. And before I formally introduce Diana, we were talking about Korean stand-up comedy and I wanted to leave that in because it's kind of interesting. So I'll pop in uh, off the intro right into our conversation uh, and then you'll hear me uh, formally introduce her a little bit after that. So it's a little out of order this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Make sure you follow Diana on social media. Uh, Follow the show. Love to hear comments and feedback. And thank you so much for listening. So uh, please enjoy the episode with Diana Hong.
1: that's really cool well um i'm i'm glad i feel like maybe well you'll probably teach me stuff so you're i'm assuming you know about margaret cho and and stuff like that too yeah yeah okay cool
0: just because i do that it's kind of been on my radar to talk to look into like when korean americans are doing stand-up and especially now there's some korea korea is trying to kind of develop stand-up culture itself Mm -hmm. um like i don't know if you know paknare She's on. She has a Netflix special. Um, oh, what? Yeah, and I feel like the algorithm here like didn't blast it out, but she was gonna come do shows in L.A. She she sold the I think she sold out the Will Turn. Wow. And that was gonna happen in April, and I had a ticket to it, and then uh, you know that didn't happen. So.
1: <laughs> Did she do stand up in um in Korean or in English?
0: All in all in Korean.
1: Wow, I didn't know because I knew there was one special on Netflix by some dude who like was, uh, I don't know what he it seemed like he was more improv or sketch or like some actor who like I think was big and up. what I mean whatever it was he got a Netflix special. so I tried to watch it. And I know there's, you know, always with translations that Joe kind of misses a little yeah. bit. But I was very much like it felt kinda like you can tell Korea is still getting into stand up because the style of stand up is still very like I would say like eighties, nineties type yeah. of stand up where it was like more animated. It wasn't necessarily like um I don't I don't even know how to really describe it, but I felt kind of like I I didn't get it. And so it was a very Mm -hmm. weird feeling to like watch someone do like see a Korean stand up, do, you know, have a Netflix special, which is dope. But then also sit there and be like, I I, I don't I want to support you, but I I don't Yeah, the
0: Paknade one, she spends, honestly, the first like maybe 10 percent of the set is explaining what she's going to do and that it and like that it's stand up. (laughs) And she's like, I'm going to tell some stories. I'm also just going to tell some jokes. You should laugh at whatever you think is funny. And then she also has to give all this disclaimer about I'm gonna say really dirty things, and you're not used to hearing uh, like a female, uh, very public celebrity say these kind of things. But it's okay, and she keeps she makes jokes out of it. She's like, Netflix gave me money. I promise, this is like what I'm supposed to do, and it's it's very um, (laughs) it's very like like baby steps of explaining what it is because that there were attempts to have that kind of culture people have told me in Korea in the past I was doing stand-up, but it just never really takes on. It's more like, like you said, improv and sketch has been more popular.
1: Yeah, because when I was growing up, I spent some time in Korea. Like, I would typically spend my summers there when I was in elementary school. And, like, you know, like, gag concert, which is, like, kind of more the SNL type of... uh, Yeah, so, like, that was, like, all my introduction of comedy. So, like, it's so weird that, like, stand-up is, like, coming out and, like, more Koreans. Like, when I moved down here, I was, like... I started comedy in Sacramento, and then I came down here, and uh, I was like, "Wow, there's more Asians." And then, like, I met more Koreans, and that completely blew my mind because, like, growing mm. up, like, stand up wasn't an option. Like, as you were like mentioning, it like it took a while to even get to the point now where, mm-hmm. like, you know, now they're at the point where they have to do a disclaimer. Like, can you imagine going to a comedy show in the states and then like having a comic being like, "Okay, like here are the rules of stand up." Like, that's, yeah, yeah. that's so weird that we're seeing that live happening like a lot of us i think like weren't around when stand-up first came to the states and was like booming but we're like seeing it in other countries i think that's fascinating all
0: right so welcome to don't sit in the front and today i'm talking with diana hong she does stand-up all over california and diana where are you uh podcasting to us from today and welcome to the show
1: oh thank you thanks for having me i am in orange california which is a city in Orange County. Um, That was the thing that we found out when we moved down here, that those are two separate things. (laughs)
0: Uh (laughs) You said move down here. So and we were kind of talking before off mic, but you mentioned you started maybe did you grow up in Sacramento?
1: I did grow up in Sacramento. I was born in the Bay, uh, grew up in Sacramento, but I don't like Sacramento. So I claimed the Bay Area, even though I literally Uh was there for like maybe months after being born. Um, But Mm. I did start stand up in Sacramento and then uh, my girlfriend got into Chapman. So we're down down here and then hoping to Mm. make the move uh, to L.A. next year when
0: she graduates. Huh? Chapman's that's a smaller private school in Orange County.
1: Yes, very small but expensive private school. <laughs> yeah, in, in uh, Orange County and like it, yeah, it's it's small. I mean, the film school is pretty decent. Like they've uh, mm. they've done pretty well, and I think the new dean or president is like he used to be like one of the guys at the Hollywood Reporter or something like that. Yeah, like, he's the reason why they got like um, on like the top ten for like film schools. So hopefully we get our money's worth, but you know, only time will tell.
0: <laughs> yeah. You at the risk of maybe stepping into awkward territory. You said you don't like Sacramento, so you don't claim it. Like what? What? What was it about Sacramento? I can guess, but like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, do you want to guess first?
0: (laughs) Well, I. So, okay. So then there's two parts. One is uh, my only experience with Sacramento is having been there once when I was, I was helping a band drive on their tour. So we just like went through it. So I didn't necessarily stop, but I just remember being, it being a lot smaller of a city than I would have expected uh, for being the capital. But that's kind of the case with a lot of state capitals. But so that's my one experience. And the second one is like Ladybird And then <laughs> I mean, I'm a white guy with glasses and a beard like I obviously love Lady Bird, but I also hear, heard all the critique of it of how it kind of erases all the other people that live in Sacramento because it's like a very white story. So uh, that's my experience and knowledge of Sacramento.
1: I mean, it's pretty accurate uh, to uh, the funny thing about Lady Bird, the, the critique of it being like a mostly like predominantly like white story. It's like that's Sacramento, though. Like if you look yeah. at the news, um, if you watch the news, it's like the sheriff's department's garbage, the, you know, um, DA's garbage. Like it, it's all like mm. I mean, the, the best thing they did was like catch the Golden State killer, but like not. Like they didn't even re- like she didn't even do any work. Like they didn't do anything, and they took so long. And he ended up being a cop in Sacramento. So it was just like yeah. you know the whole Jesus. the whole place is like kind of garbage, to be honest. Um, I was like in the nonprofit. Mm. I I didn't I there was like six months where I wanted to be an activist, so I got involved and I met a lot of great people in those communities. But like um like for example like the Sac- Sacramento LGBT center is like complete a complete garbage, like, 100%. Like, they're only in it for mm. the money. They've, like, made statements where they're, like, oh, Pride is a fundraiser. And, like, as a gay person, uh, to hear that an organization, a nonprofit, profit suppose a non organization is claiming Pride, which was also started by, mm. like, a black trans woman, and they're, like, not very good with tra- the trans community at all, and they're claiming it as a fundraiser, mm. like, that's basically, like, kind of the, mo- like, mood of Sacramento. And, like, I just you know, Mm. it definitely, I'm grateful for growing up there because it definitely put me in a mind space where I think I, I have thicker skin and like, I understand, I don't even know how I'm going to word this, but like, I think I understand certain things and I can see another side or I I learned empathy in the sense of like understanding, like, you know, white people's sides or conservative white people's sides too, um, because that's like how I grew up. Mm. Um, So I am, I am grateful just because I don't like Sacramento and like on like I've gone through like some shady stuff in like the comedy community and like that's definitely like a whole separate podcast to be honest but like Uh it's just like I, I am besides all that I am still very grateful for my time there and I think it did make me the comic that I am today or trying to be so as much as I'm like I don't claim Sacramento whatever like I you know I can't take away like what shaped me and i do have like some of my best friendships like came from sacramento because like like you said there wasn't anything there like we had to rely on each Mm -hmm. other like that's why all the kids like you know i still have friends from elementary school because like that's how small sacramento is or was i don't know now now they're trying so hard to like be san francisco so i don't know what it's like now growing up there but before it was Cowtown. it was like davis like was you know we thought we were a bigger city than davis but the bar if the bar is davis you know that doesn't take much
0: yeah well and then i come from a really small town so i understand that having still having friends from elementary school like I, on a weekly basis i'll have a a call on discord with my friends that i've known since kindergarten so yeah i think it's it seems pretty nice though to still have those kind of roots but yeah you were like coming in hot with a lot of uh there's a lot of baggage on sacramento it sounds like but then so if we kind of unpack and go back you talked about being in the nonprofit sector so what brought you to that like from where to where
1: oh god that the, this is kind of goes a little bit into the like this is another story a story for another podcast <laughs> um but i don't even know how to spark notes this because this was so shitty um but like basically long story short what happened was there was someone who was trying to produce a gay sh- like the show was basically titled like a gay show, but he refused to book gay comics, mm. and so I called him out on that. And that exactly mm. uh, right, exactly. Um, but he <laughs> he booked he did like stand up and drag queens, so he was like, oh, the drag queens are gay enough for the show. And I was like, you didn't say like you know LGBT plus allies. You just said LG. Like if you don't have a gay comic, like you can't like that gay enough you as a straight man he was a right straight dude Mm. you can't say what's gay enough like that's just wrong yeah and so um i brought it up to the club Mm -hmm. and then the club was like oh shit we didn't know this was going on and then so he basically went on this whole like um i forgot what it's called but like basically he just went on this like you know like trying to like spear my name type of shit so i reached out to um the gender health center because i had friends that were working in the gender health center which is Mm was created which goes into how shitty sacramento is the gender assault health center was created because the lgbt center wasn't fulfilling the the needs of the queer community because they weren't doing anything with trans people they're Mm. very like uh white like white dominant like even though like there's always like um just like there's the level of like marginalized communities right so like even like gay like even just because you're gay but if you're white and you hold on to that identity you're still a person of power and, like, for example, like, a couple, like, yeah. years ago, this is what they thought was a good idea. The Sacramento LGBT Center thought it was a good idea to have a red dress party for a fundraiser.
2: Hmm.
1: Red dress meaning it was an Asian-themed party. Oh. Like, they threw dragons and shit, and they were like, this is Asian. And they thought that shit was uh-huh. okay. And, like, this is, like, the type of shit they are doing. So I reached out to the Gender Health Center, and then right around then was also when uh, Stefan Clark... Um, that whole situation with Stefan Clark where he was shot by police and murdered. And so
2: in um, his backyard, right.
1: You know, then black lives in, yeah. Well, his grandma's backyard, but I also lived in South Sac at the time. So I wasn't that far away from like when it actually happened. And Mm. I think like seeing how like broken everything was in Sacramento, I thought I could do a little bit more. So I wanted to get more involved. And so um, I helped, the lavender library, which is like a predominantly, like, uh, it was like the queer library. Like I helped them get an open mic started. Cause I was like, I want to be able to like do something. Cause like, you know, and I'm also one of those people that really hates it when people get all like social justice warrior on social media. And they're like, Mm -hmm. look, I made a post, like, this is it because like, it's not, you're not actually doing anything. You're just, just because you're on social media and that's an echo chamber. Like you're not doing anything. So I think mm. at that time, like, it was, like, a perfect storm of everything of just, like, I want to be involved. And then I realized how broken Sacramento really was. And then I was just, like, I'm moving. I'm out. Like, I can't. Like, mm. after everything that happened, like, Scott Jones got reelected. Uh, Schubert got reelected. I was, like, we're th- this place is just broken. Mm. You can't fix this. And, like, that that kind of messed with me so much where, like, I... I kind of, I I'm st- I stepped away because it wasn't good for my mental health, but like it was a very intense like six months and I'm not trying to like, and I say like I was an activist, but it was just like just being involved in that community, but also knowing how much work it actually is to be an activist. So I definitely say it in kind of a more joking way because I wasn't like, I was trying to be there and be a support, but like I was part of that community and saw how much work it was and no, like I say it in a sense of like I'm kind of joking about it uh because like real activists like that that's some shit like that is a lot of work and I admire all those people like in the streets especially like now we're like you know things are esc- like things are getting worse because like we've been ignoring the problem for so long mm-hmm. but Sacramento to me as the ca- state capital of California like we can't if we can't get our shit together then like you know like I feel like the whole country is kind of doomed like we're mm-hmm. one of the most liberal states like people look at us and call us like you know saying we're too far left and then our capital is kind of garbage mm-hmm. so i went in naively thinking like oh i can hope and that's not what happened mm.
0: what's the what's the the um there's a guy branham always says uh california north of sec no what does he say california north of sacramento or north of san francisco is the deep south or i forget how he worded it but i don't know california has been riding on this like liberal utopia or progressive utopia thing and ever I've lived out here now for nine years and I'm kind of like obviously California has work to do too so it's like uh it's frustrating to hear that all of that went on for you but also pushed you uh, maybe onto something better for your mental health and then like you can kind of figure out how you're gonna help in a different capacity I kind of wonder what you, think this is weird to talk about but i wonder what you think is the role of stand-up comedians as a kind of activism or like a some kind of voice
1: i think anytime you have a platform i think the amount of pressure not pressure but expectation people have on entertainers or stand-up comedians is not right like i feel like that should be directed towards the politicians that's why we are paying them right but Mm. i still feel like as an entertainer as someone with a platform you do have a responsibility to be careful and like use your platform um responsibly so i mean but then that's the thing though like any it depends who you are like you for someone like me if i i had a bigger platform like i mean i still try to be vocal about issues and and you know like let make my point of view known but like you have the opposite end of it right Mm -hmm. that you have those stand-up comedians who are like on the super conservative side or like pro trumpers or whatever and then they're using their voice so i think it's like no matter what even if it's stand-up now you have now you're playing with people who have like social media followings up in the millions that literally have no talent but editing videos that's ultimately what their talent is yeah right so (laughs) and like that call already comes with a level of privilege but that that's their talent is for having free time and editing videos and they have millions of followers like i think it's up to and then i think it's just kind of Mm. like a personal responsibility like in your everyday life like how do you want to carry yourself it's just on a bigger scale so mm. like, I think it like, yes, stand up, you know, it is, you know, unfortunately it's fallen on a lot of stand up comedians to so, like have that voice for the people, but also like, we should start instead of relying on others, we should start living ourselves, like living our lives like that, like how we would want to be represented and not just rely on others. So I think there's like, it was kind of like a loaded question for me because I feel like there's multiple levels of it.
0: Mm. Yeah. I'm not a comedian, just a fan. And then from my perspective, whenever I hear it's usually someone who's more conservative a comedian say like oh i'm not political or whatever i was like well you're you're on a stage in front of a room of people and they're listening to what you say and they're paying to be there too a lot of the times so like it is political and not to get like too uh, i don't know sanctimonious about it but like you guys are the the modern day like jesters and troubadours and going around and you know making the king look foolish that kind of thing so yeah it's always political just like how everything is but yeah.
1: um, i think that statement too like when people are like oh i don't want to get you poli- i feel like i've been seeing that more right like i don't want to be political like facebook is so political or whatever it is and it's like I, I i just like how do you how do you separate it was never not political for me like my parents are immigrants like mm-hmm. i'm gay like i was out when the whole thing like when uh gay marriage when uh, prop eight was on on the ballot like i was out to my parents around then and i think uh it was like maybe a year or so after like Mm. right around the supreme court like right before the ruling and like my mom told me like gay people aren't human so you don't deserve human rights like that's my Mm. mom's reaction to me so how and then the supreme court uh and i was at that point i never thought about marriage but then the supreme court ruled that gay marriage was legal and i cried Like, to feel that, like, for once, like, because my parents, like, my mom and my parents, like, my dad, like, they didn't support me or didn't understand me. Like, my country still said I was human. And, like, how can that not be political? How can, like, your identity Mm. not be political? Like, I just don't understand when people are like, it's not, like, I don't want it to be political. And it's like, you're existing. Like, that's that's political. Like, Mm. women's rights, that's political. Like, I don't understand. Like, how can you say this is political and this is not?
0: Yeah, sorry, just a lot to think about in that. Well, then I wonder. Uh, so we're getting we're getting pieces of the timeline. This is an, this is another episode of coming in hot with Diana and James. <laughs> uh, yeah, damn. Well, so 2008. You, I don't want to tie the timeline to that, but so you come out to your parents. When did you start doing comedy? I guess I want to I want to know.
1: I keep forgetting honestly I think it's been like seven years now I have to ask my girlfriend every single time (laughs) because it was like we got we've been together for five years and then it was a couple years before that so I think seven years now Mm. so 2013 and so for me what happened was I used to be a professional golfer like my whole life was golf like since I was 12 years old I knew I was going to be a golfer like that
0: was it I Mm. like yeah I don't want to I don't want to bury the lead I don't want to bury the lead (laughs) like I do want to hear about golf but only if you want to talk about it because it could be that thing that you always have to talk about or get asked about but I am curious about that
1: I mean it's I yeah like it it is just one of those things that like I was really good at Mm. and it I didn't want to be an adult and I was like professional athlete sounds dope yeah and then you know as much as like golf is considered athletic and then Tiger Woods came on and then like it became athletic and I was like this is even cooler like now I'm an athlete yeah. like athlete athlete and then uh I I was struggling a lot I actually took a year off um because I think like what happened to me like I was one of those kids like I was one of those stereotypical stories like I'm sure like as you know with your history in Korean um like hi- like your, your knowledge of Korean history, mm. um, like women's golf like blew up yeah in Korea around the 90s. And like I was very sheltered in my life in the sense of like my parents were always like, oh, you, you have to do this. I wasn't I didn't have a lot of freedom, even though my parents worked a lot and I was able to like sneak out at night, but not really sneak out. Like I did a lot of stupid shit, but never <laughs> as bad because I had golf and responsibilities and like, you know, I, my, my parents were kind of strict. Um, And then I went to college. And so then when I got to college, I was like, wow, I can like party all the time. And I had like mental illness I wasn't dealing with. And I had a lot of uh, I had some PTSD I wasn't dealing with. So I I drank a lot, um, like heavily. And then Mm. um, that continued for a while. So like, like fast forward, I then I became did the pro thing, went to Arizona, uh, ended up having emergency surgery because I had like something wrong with my small intestine came back to california Mm. to recover and then i was like well i want to do q school so i went to florida and all the while i was still like not completely happy because i had that taste of freedom in college but i wasn't ready to let go of like the lifestyle that i thought being a golfer was which is freedom i can't sit behind a desk like i it it kills Mm. my soul um (laughs) <laughs> Luckily, right now the job that I have is is great. Um, if my boss decides to listen, but I, the job I have now is great. But like overall, like sitting in a cubicle, sitting behind the desk, like destroys me as a person. So I wasn't mm. ready to give that up. And then um, I met somebody when I came back here right before I moved to Florida. And when I got to Florida, like dating that person, and like I just I, I didn't want to play golf anymore. So I came back on just the visit and then I like decided I want to play golf, like in a panic attack in the middle of the night. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I was like, I think I'm going to do stand up, Like it just like all, like I did one open mic before I moved to Florida. Cause I was like, Oh, I thought I was never going to see these people ever again. I'm going to go to Florida, be this great professional golfer. It's just going to be something off my bucket list. Cause it's something that I always wanted to do.
0: Cause yeah. I
1: grew up watching Margaret Cho
0: mm. and like,
1: for me, like to watch a Korean woman say those things that you know most. Like you're you're aware, like Korean culture is very conservative. So to grow mm-hmm. up and see someone talking about like vaginas and like all this stuff and m- getting laughs and doing something that's not conventional and like she was tatted, I was just like, holy shit! Like this is a whole new world. Like yeah. I want to be her. And then like because I was going through such a rough time in my childhood. I started really going into stand up, watching stand up, because I was just like, for those like for that hour or that minute or thirty seconds or whatever that I'm laughing, the world is okay.
2: Mm.
1: And that's what I went back to when I when my world was crumbling around me and I woke up, I was like, I can't I at that point I invested like what, like fifteen years or something into golf. And I woke up and I was like, fifteen years is nothing. Mm. Like it's gone. All of that work is gone. And so I ended up in the psych ward because I wanted to kill myself. Mm. And then after and then when I went in, I actually got right before I went in, I actually got booked on my first uh, showcase. And so the morning that I decided that I was like, I'm going to get help or I'm going to kill myself. I uh, decided to get help because I was like, well, I can't flake. Like you know, as a comedy, like, we're <laughs> thirsty for like stage time, right? Like you don't want to be that person to just like not show up, even if your excuse is death. Like you don't want to be that person, and, right? And it would have so, ruined like,
0: the it would have ruined the whole show too, the whole vibe.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it would have been such a downer. Um, so I, that's what that's really like. What like comedy, like legit, like it, it legitimately saved my life. Mm. So like that's you know that's kind of like how it happened. I, I never. I got into comedy because I want, because I knew the pain of not, um, I knew the, I knew the pain that life can give mm-hmm. you. And I'm not saying I have the the biggest sob story. Everything I think is in degrees and it's a matter of about perspective, but like, I'm very, very well aware of the pain that you can go through in life. But like laughing is legit. The only thing that I know of that, like it can go away mm-hmm. just for a little bit, it can mm-hmm. go away. And like to be able to give someone that gift, I think is like one of the most amazing things. And I think I also wanted a purpose and like to be able to connect with people because I'm also an only child. Mm. And so, like I didn't have a lot of friends and it, it, I was socially awkward. I'm still like socially like not understanding like how it works. Mm. But I feel like stand up is the only place you're allowed to be weird. You don't have to follow the social norms. You can be a little off. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts can be a little off, you know, but, the whole point is to like get people to like be on board with you and laugh. And to me, I think that's magic. Yeah. And so that's why like I kind of just made the transition over.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you definitely have a very storied uh story leading up to your starting stand-up. So all the premises are like pre-written for you. You've got all that. And then it's just like, how do you put it together and how do you tell it to other people? <laughs> What is your earliest memory of liking stand-up though? Uh
1: it was probably watching Margaret Cho, and it was like one of her earlier specials. And it was like when she mimicked her mom a lot and it was the gay stuff. Mm. Um I remember watching that I must have been nine, I think. I was I remember watching it and it was in our living room and I was actually watching it with my mom. And my mom doesn't like she English is her second or third mm. language, and so she's not very fluent in it. But I just remember that mo- she watched Margaret Cho because she was Korean. Yeah. And I was able to watch because she didn't understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> was, like, my earliest memory is like bonding over Margaret Cho. And my mom and I, for the longest time, did not. We just started like having phone conversations that last more than five minutes. Yeah. Um, that was my first memory is watching Margaret Cho. And that's, I think it's the one that I want and then bonding over my mom with
0: that. Yeah, I remember cuz I'll tell friends in Korea or, or uh, Korean friends that are here in the US. I'll tell my like stand up and then that might be one of the few references they have. They're like, "Oh, that's like Margaret Joe." And then I'm like, "Yeah, like you kind of alluded to it before, but Korea doesn't really want to claim her because like you mentioned it, but like the way she looks, she's very tatted. Uh she's queer. She'll her material can be very blue and then I think of the fact that I think if she were to perform in Korea today, it would like stop time for the kind of presentation she's giving. But then she started in the '90s or even maybe the late '80s, so it's it's pretty wild to think about. Uh, yeah, your mom not no, totally knowing what's going on, so that's the only reason you could watch it probably.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, she even watched some. Like, she, I came home to visit one time and she was, came up to me. And the first thing she said was, I found you on YouTube. You're not funny. And I'm like, but you don't understand English. Like, what, what, what bar are you setting at? I'm like, I've never heard you laugh at anything. And she was like, I mean, true. And I'm like, what? you know, the like, Koreans are very mm. blunt. Um, and I think that's what I think I always, and I think Margaret Cho is very aware of this too um she she really really was a trailblazer and it was just unfortunate that she was like it just feels like she was just like either like five years or like you know just a couple years ahead of her time and it's just like that window because like yeah like now how like looking back and seeing how much she like inspired a generation and changed a culture mm-hmm. um i think she would like the the reception she would receive in korea is definitely different than like you know like back then and it's kind of different or different it's it's definitely wild like how time has has changed but like um as i was trying to say that i think she's very well aware like what her influence has done and i've been on a couple shows with margaret she Mm. has no idea who i am Mm. um because i fangirled every single time and just sat in the corner and (laughs) stared at her Uh, because like she's just like to me she was like a she's a god you know Mm. because like my mom and I can never get along and like that's the one thing and like I feel that that relationship with her because I don't ever feel I'd never felt accepted by my Korean side of the family mm. because I was born in America and then like at that time in the 90s like that was when like you know it was cool to like whitewash all the all the kids so they would like mm. legit like tell my parents like stop speaking Korean in the home. And then like when I would go to Korea to try to learn Korean, all my cousins, because like globalization is a thing, you know, America was like making Mm. its presence known over there. So all my cousins and my aunts and uncles were like, "Okay, come over here and teach us English. And So I'm just like bad at both languages, really. Mm. But like it, it definitely is just it is a it's a weird time to be Korean having been born in a time where like it wasn't cool or like accepted and like to see margaret cho's career i i will always have like a certain level of respect for margaret cho that i i think is like that i reserve like that is special than i do have for have other comics that i truly admire too
0: you know we could all grow up seeing stand-up in some way it would come to us on tv or whatever but uh and then you were busy with golf and all the different bouncing back and forth with different school and like other issues but where where was your best place to see stand-up and what i wonder uh either a locale a recurring show or the type of place where you would see stand-up so this is kind of following your timeline is like where did you start to actually go watch stand-up or did you not really watch it you just went out and tried it
1: uh i mostly just watched it on Mm -hmm. tv like it was just like i the main specials that i watched was the margaret cho one and then cat williams Mm -hmm. those were like my main influences so i had and I felt, like, such a poser when I first started stand-up. Because it's stand-up is one of those communities, too, where, like, it's any, like, nerdy type of community, right? They're always, like, oh, well, did you know about this? Or, like, you know, like, all these comics. And I was, like, no, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm just starting. And then, like, I felt like I was kind of judged and looked down. Like, it's, like, oh, you're not a true fan or you're not a true comic. Right? And, like, I started... um, I didn't know how to start. I didn't know you could just like go to open mic. Like I, I didn't know the rules. And so there was a, a place in Sacramento called the Sacramento Comedy Spot, which is mostly improv, but they were doing some stand up um and then sketch. And so I they were looking for interns. So I just applied to be an intern. And then I was then I found out you could just go on stage. And mm-hmm. then like would when I was and so I w- it just it kinda just happened, uh, because I, I went out and I was like, Okay, well I don't know too much. Let me just like try to like see a little bit about the community and i got really lucky too because one of the first shows uh that i saw outside of like seeing it on tv was um uh, was at the sacramento comedy spot because you can see free shows um when you're working and so was uh they're 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 not around anymore uh but they were called the real housewives of the real funny housewives of uh, forgot what their name was <laughs> but it was like sacramento and it was like these these moms uh, mostly moms Uh, that were like Mm. kind of like they're like little troop like kind of like the blue collar comedy tour that kind of thing yeah and one of them uh who started i think cheryl the soccer mom who's actually still a friend of mine which is so trippy because i looked up to her when i first started Mm -hmm. and now she's a friend of mine so that that's the great thing about comedy too i think that accessibility Mm. to your heroes is great um but i went up to her and she was like I just was like, "Hey, I, I I'm interested in comedy. I don't know how to get started." And she's like, "Let me add you to a Facebook group. Like, let me add you to the Sacramento comedies comedy scene Facebook group, and then like you can like get started." And she's like, "You know, you can ask me questions." Like, it really just happened. Like, I found the spot, wanted an internship, and then and it, there wasn't really any requirements, but like show mm. up, and uh, and then it just took one comic to be nice to me, and then it just kind of kept going from there and i think like the kindness of other comics is really like what's special about comedy and
0: stand-up mm-hmm.
1: yeah i didn't get that type of stuff in golf golf is so competitive they're like no i'm not telling you my secrets
0: yeah i was gonna ask is there any carryover from things you learned in golf to stand-up so maybe not that like the community is not as uh, it's obviously competitive the community is not as nice but is there anything you learned from that long history of preparing to be a professional golfer that helps you in trying to be a professional stand-up
1: um yes in the in the business sense and work ethic sense Mm. like uh i think like i I think a lot of comics forget that we are a business like if you're trying to make a career out of this or you're trying to be successful in this right like you are a business you need to treat yourself as Mm. such and as a golfer you were taught like you're very strict with your regimen you kind of had to carry yourself a certain way right so like it, it kind of taught me like how business works. And also golf is a very rich person sport. So like, I knew how, like I was seeing like how yeah. rich people function. And so like, that's kind of like, it kind of went into my standup too. Um, and then uh, I, I think like work ethic wise, like, you know, I would wake up at like three, four in the morning, go to the golf course and try to tee off right before the sun rises, just before everyone else. And then stay there mm. until like, at night, like my like I would practice till my hands bled. And so like I knew like stand up is a lot of work and it's a lot of dedication and it's a lot of studying. Like if mm-hmm. I think if you want to be successful in it, you need to understand your craft. And so like that's what golf taught me. Like cause I was like when I was golfing, I was studying golf swings. I was studying the grades, you know, you reading a whole bunch of books. Like I'll sit like when I wasn't at the golf course at night, I'll go to Barnes and Noble because I couldn't afford to buy all the books, but I'll sit at Barnes and Noble and read books all night and then go home, wake up in the morning and do it all over again. Mm. So like, it did teach me that and I it taught me to not be scared of that and embrace it and just kind of dig into it more. Of course, there is a balance, like healthy work life balance that I'm learning because I went on the extreme of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, it seems like not a lot of stand-ups are treating it like someone who's training in a professional sport. So I think that would just help you in terms of like, just the fact of like waking up and having a schedule. If you learn to that, you're already ahead of the game in a lot of ways, I think.
2: Oh,
1: for sure. I think it it really gets, I think a lot of, I've seen a lot of stand-ups that really um, kind of overlook the whole, like you are a business, like Mm -hmm. you're supposed to show. Cause I, when I was doing stand-up, um, like right also when I started my dad uh had a really major stroke Mm -hmm. or his second really third major stroke so we thought I thought he was gonna die every weekend for like six months Mm. um and so like I wasn't going to a lot of open mics but I was still getting booked on shows because I made connections before and like I you know to get booked on shows, like at least showcases, there's there's not really that many requirements. You don't have to be that funny. You just have to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. But you have to show up and you have to be a professional.
2: Mm. And I
1: hit those three marks. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, like people are going to reach out to me in a small pool like Sacramento, too. Right. Mm. And like, I'm a diversity hire. I know that. Like, I'm great. Like I hit four <laughs> marks. And so uh. I'm going to get asked to do shows, even though I don't open because I was going through. St- not that I didn't value open mics. It was because I had so much going on in my personal life. And then like I was dealing with my emotions. And but the thing that like would get me was that comics would like shit talk me and be like oh you think you're too good for mics Mm. you think you're like you're better than blah blah blah, right Mm. when in reality it was like dude you're not treating yourself like a business you cuss out the fucking host you go to you never like you don't show up on time or at all yet you're coming at me saying that i and like you've purposely tried to bomb shows and piss off audiences yet you're worried about like what i'm doing like i think people really forget that like yeah comedy because they see comics as like kind of a free-for-all because there's no rules there's no hr department that they forget Mm. like ultimately you are a business like treat yourself act professionally and you'll get booked will you make millions of dollars no like only time will tell but like you'll get booked yeah and like they forget that
0: (laughs) Mm. i identify with that really hard because that kind of it's like a work ethic, but also just the showing up when you're supposed to and doing the thing you're supposed to when you're supposed to. Like in academia, I, I see I see people who are absolutely brilliant, but they're just too in this kind of identity of like a starving artist, but like the starving academic. And they're just like staying up all night and like they're way smarter than me, but they can just never get their shit together. So yeah, I identify with that really hard. It was like if somebody oh, asks yeah. you to do this thing and you do it at the right time, you already are halfway. It's like half of the process really.
1: It's amazing. It's really amazing how low the bar is actually set.
0: Mm. Like
1: <laughs> I think, I think as like artists or like because you, you don't you don't I think we just see the success, right? Yeah. Like we see the people like just crushing it on social media. We see everyone like getting famous, but we when you're actually immersed in the community, you really realize how low that bar is like mm. showing up. You're right. You show up, you're already ahead, 50% mm-hmm. ahead of every like those people. Mm.
0: You kind of touched on it before, talking about how stand-up is magic and you can kind of forget things, but that seems like the more, uh, that's like further along and it's very, it's like the much larger picture. I wonder on a very practical level, like when were the best times for you to see stand-up in your life? What what kind of things were going on in your life when you say, I'm really glad I went to stand-up uh, either to perform or to watch it that night in particular?
2: Um,
1: I think like, well, this kind of goes into like my my favorite comic too. Like I used to um, uh, worked. Oh, sorry, I realized I kind of didn't answer your last question. But the best places to see stand up. Um, I, I I love SF punchline, but the key is to me low ceilings. Yeah. As a performer and as an audience member, low ceilings. I personally like a little light. Um, but not you know that's a preference just because I can't really see well but like when I was I was working at the rack the Nordstrom rack and like right next to the Nordstrom rack was uh, SF punch or not SF sorry Sacramento punch yeah so like and I became friends with um, the staff there so I just walk over and pop into shows and like for me kind of just like whenever you just had so like I got in a habit of watching or wanting to watch stand-up at least like when I've had like a rough day at work or just like I think it's good for me personally. I think it's more about therapy and like feeling that release, that therapeutic release. So I think the best time would be when you're kind of going through that rough patch. Like I've done a show. um, I I used to run the show at the VFW in Sacramento and like one of the shows the day before they buried this woman's husband, they had the service Mm. and she came to the show. I I mean, I don't really know she came. I was like kind of surprised that she came and she came up and thanked us after because she was like I needed this Mm. and those are the moments that I think like when you when you when you think you 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 can't and you just take that little bit of okay maybe I can I think that's the best time to watch stand
0: up yeah Uh, that's again another thing that just kind of left me with a lot to ponder sorry um
1: um oh but uh, one of the so I had a really rough day at work yeah. <laughs> and then I went into uh, Sacramento Punchline and uh Ida Rodriguez was there that week oh, wow. and I've never seen her before mm-hmm. and uh I hadn't seen a lot of live comedy I was still very new I was still very green um and she especially for me like growing up um when I did and how I did like there wasn't a lot of like immigrant stories or representation mm-hmm. And so I kind of like when I was a kid, like my the character that I related to the most was like Hank Hill, you <sighs> know. Like I had to pick like a white dude from our like from Texas yeah. to be like that's me, because like I wasn't on TV. But like when I saw Ida, like even though she's she's Puerto Rican and Dominican, and you know I'm Korean, I saw her and I was like, wow, she's telling my story in her words, but like she's telling my story, mm. and it like just changed everything. Like it really just was like it really solidified for me like what kind of comic i wanted Mm -hmm. and that was after i had like a really rough shift at work so it just like stars aligned
0: yeah i wonder what yeah you're kind of speaking to i was gonna ask uh you you've talked a little bit about being an immigrant and then there i gotta think about how i word this Then i'm like obviously an outsider to that experience so i there could be like a universality to that immigrant experience growing up in an immigrant family do you think there's something that now we're seeing more people with that kind of story in standup that they can diversify and talk about their specific immigrant experience? Or do you think it's, uh, I guess, what do you think is the, what's to be gained or what's the difference of finding that universal experience versus like, I'm going to talk about the Korean American immigrant experience.
1: I mean, I think, I think the experience itself, it's kind of, I don't know how to put it. I feel like, because I, I every story has been told mm right? Like to a certain extent, every joke has been told. I think it's a matter of how our personal experiences shaped us and how we view the world. And that's what makes it different and makes it each person exciting and different from one another. Mm. Um, Like my parents are immigrants. I'm first it depends who you ask like this is the thing depends who you ask like you ask wikipedia i'm first generation you ask someone who's like really stuck up about it and they'll be like you're second generation i and you know mm-hmm. like i'm very prideful so i'm gonna argue first generation uh-huh. um but that experience of like i think and it's also um dependent on like where you go and share the stories like when i first started i went to a lot of like more like a predominantly white conservative rooms. Cause they're the ones that pay. Yeah. And so like my jokes were kind of like, I kind of cater to them. I'm not proud of it, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to earn a check. And they haven't heard my stories before. Right. They haven't mm. heard that experience before. And I think my goal is to like, as a comic, I want to show people that we have more in common. So like, even if you can't really relate to like my parents are immigrants, you can relate to my parents were different. I was different. Mm. I think ultimately at the end of the day, we are telling stories where we're just different from society. And this is how we were different, how we were treated. And I think at the base core of that, everyone can relate to not fitting in. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right? To a certain extent. I mean, even the popular kids, I feel like they have, you know, they have their own demons too. But I think we all can feel like that we don't belong. I think that like, that feeling of not belonging, and then wanting to reclaim that feeling of like, no, I do belong. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. I think that's ultimately the experience that people are relating to. It doesn't matter if your parents are, you know, you have centuries of, like, they came on the Mayflower, or, like, they just came over on a boat, or, like, the plane. Like, I think we all can relate to just being, and plus, we're all immigrants instead of except for Native Americans. Right. Right, so. Hmm oh and being cheap i think a lot more people relate to being like i just thought it was like being immigrant or like having immigrant parents but like everyone likes to save money that's not just an immigrant thing yeah i think there's topics that we all relate to
0: there's certain topics where like i grew up in a working class family so like when yeah when there's topics of like saving money on things like i can relate to it a little bit like people are obviously coming from like a lot more they're striving a lot harder to overcome a lot more things than i was but like I can relate to that a little bit. And also the other thing when people are like, I'm a member of X, like so-and-so group, and we really love food. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, everybody likes food. It's just kind of like, yeah, some of those, uh, I think what might be hard is overcoming some of the, what could be hack premises and things that have come before. But then I was thinking about it differently in my head. That's why I just kind of went like, I'll skip that. But I could bring it up Is like, for me a long time, For a long time, looking at some of the comics who come from the immigrant experience, I felt bad that a lot of times when they're in a more mainstream, on a more mainstream platform, they had to resort to like imitating their parents' accents and things like that. And then people have done that to very different effect. But then I wonder, like, are you getting the laugh that you actually want to be getting in that moment? I think that's a hard thing to navigate. You're going to get the different, not the laugh you might want from like the white conservative room that you're talking about. So I wonder what you thought about that.
1: It's, it really is so dependent on the person. Like, you know, as now that I'm a little more comfortable of who I am as a comic, I think like, I like to carry myself a little. um, I like my jokes to, to, you know, this is going to sound like, like I'm pretending to be cool, but like, I I want my jokes to hit different. You know what Mm. I mean? Like I I want them, I want people to understand on that level. And like, if I'm telling you a story of my, my, my immigrant parents, Parents or my parents not accepting me, you as a straight white man, I still want you to relate to understand where I'm coming Mm -hmm. from and still enjoy that experience. Then again, you have those people that are also like, I just want attention. I just want laughs. So they're gonna try to do the easier stuff. You know, there's a there's either like you don't like when I first started, I did definitely did some like easier jokes, but like I was like taught just get the laugh and I didn't know how to use my voice yet. So it was a learning curve, right? Yeah. And there's some people that just like they just want to be the class clown, however that is. And then they're the ones that 20 years from now, they're going to be like, "Oh, PC culture is killing comedy." And it's like, "Dude, you didn't even like try in the beginning." Hmm. You know, you're telling the same jokes for 20 years like society moves on. So it really depends on the individual comic, and I'm not even though it sounded like I was talking shit, I'm not going to knock someone if they're making if they're making money and they're happy. It's not it's not my job to judge
0: them. Yeah. Hmm. What was the last set you saw before people went into lockdown with the quarantine and stuff? Do you remember the last set you saw or were you performing?
1: I wish I could burn it out of my mind. It was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I wish, like, I don't remember any of the jokes too much, but I I can't remember my last uh show. I actually have to look at my calendar, which I meant to do, but uh the my last uh I was starting to get more comfortable and like go more to mics. Um, And I was working in LA. So I was like, Oh, let me just hit up. I I hit up a friend and Nikki Fuchs, who's also a comic. And we went mic hopping. And like at that point, so it was, I think it was Wednesday. Mm. Yeah, it was Wednesday. And then I think everything went into lockdown, right? Like Thursday or Friday. Cause I was supposed to actually go with another comic friend, Andy to, Go mic on Thursday, so Wednesday, and it, we went to this one mic, like Cinnabar Cinema Bar or something like mm-hmm. that, which was because at that point, everyone who wasn't understanding the gravity of what was going on was out, yeah. and already in the LA open mic scene, there's a lot of people that. Are never gonna, the nice way to say it is never gonna make it in comedy mm. or in life, some of them, to be honest, mm-hmm. right? Like they're just like out there because they want to like say really disrespectful things and not be told to shut up because they have a, the power of the microphone. And yeah. all of them were out that night um Uh I we went to (laughs) another that was the thing because it's COVID like you should be scared to go out like why are you out here I mean I was one of them but like I I still didn't really understand what was going on and then um I went to we went to a second mic that night I wish it was an art bar but that was a little more fun but it was still kind of the feeling of like people were just like you know some of the ones that like those are the ones that the cockroaches came out man they were just yeah <laughs> it was just out there like because right before covid like you know a lot of people picked up early like shit wasn't gonna happen like i actually had a show um my girlfriend and i were producing a show and we had one scheduled on friday that friday and on mm. monday we called it because of like ticket sales weren't going well i started seeing other things going all around and i was like oh this is probably not a good idea um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah, just thinking about that time, is was just like, it happened so fast. And it was just like, yeah, I, that night that because then the next night, uh, right before things were shutting down, uh, Andy and I were like, Oh, let's go Mike. And then like, we we're hanging out. I was like, honestly, dude, like, I don't emotionally think I can handle for the ones that are out tonight. And then th- everything's just started get canceling. I was like, thank God. Cause I like, nah. you know, you don't want to be that person that's like, oh, I don't know. I feel like people look down on comics that are like, oh, if you don't hit like a hundred mics a night, are you really a comic? So it felt mm. kind of weird to be like, you know, a mic's open, but I don't want to go cause I don't want to get COVID. You know, like yeah. there's comics out now. I mean, to each their own, but I personally don't want to risk it. Yeah. Did you see a show right before COVID?
0: So my COVID experience is really weird because I um, I was in Korea from last July until beginning of March this year. And I came back early because of COVID was you know, running rampant in Korea. And I came back. So I, I came back. <laughs> uh, I moved my ticket up early. And I came back. I got back on March 7th. And I knew that I had to get... I had to quarantine myself for two weeks to be responsible and think that just in case i had gotten it with my last few days in korea that i would not spread it to people here um so my my wife and i uh she was here earlier but then i came we quarantined and i was just i was still in the mindset of like okay i escaped it it was a thing that was happening there and it is not gonna follow me here so i was i can't be like oh i knew what was going on and i was like so dismayed by how everyone was acting i was still in the mindset like I think I'm safe, but I do remember coming through immigration at the airport and the guy asked me like, oh, you were in Korea. I'm supposed to ask you these questions. Were you in the city of Daegu, which had a really bad outbreak in Korea at first? Uh. And I was like, no. And then they never took my temperature, never asked me anything else. They just relied on me saying no. And then that's when I knew that's when I knew we're fucked because the place was crowded. It was packed. Uh, I think about it now and I'm just like, how did I not get it? But like, um, so then I was here for two weeks and like the one thing I really missed when I was in Korea and I love was seeing live stand up that Korea is like kind of getting it, but not really. And I knew I wanted to go out to shows as soon as I could. And I was so sad because I, as I was waiting for the last few days of my personal quarantine, everybody else went into quarantine and then then everybody else was in the same mindset I was. So I, I think I'll always remember and talk about that until I die, like how, my unique experience of it was everyone's gonna have their stories but yeah it sucked and then i remember seeing like comics i really like and respect were canceling their big shows or tours or their their two-nighters or whatever it was and i was like oh yeah cool you can easily right away you could see like what the sides were like the people who respect it and understand it and actually care about their audience and are not going to give them covid and then the people that were like i gotta go perform wherever the fuck and yeah um, yeah
1: that i saw a lot of that um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off
0: no i was just gonna go off and i get mad about the <laughs> the one comic that <laughs> is not really a comic he's just a friend of joe rogan and then it ended up giving people covid and got covid so yeah fuck them but
1: oh fuck yeah that i mean that also doesn't surprise me i i think it's kind of hilarious that you love korea being like oh i'm safe in america <laughs> <laughs> it's just like and then like it's looking so back on like how korea handled it and then now
0: yeah and they handled it amazing and what was wild about our mindset was like the people i was around and like living near like older korean people were really really upset about how bad they thought it was being handled because like the numbers were like <laughs> hundreds of people had died yeah so like yeah it was <laughs> it was wild it was stressful and then um but yeah then i was like I don't know. And then eventually I was like, stand-up's not gonna come back in the same way we think of it for a while. But I'll always remember this is like and I talk about it a lot on the show. Um, the first time they did comedy quarantine, and I think that'll always be burned in my mind is like Teresa Lee trying to host that and like holding up a sign um for like the live stream comedy and then like kind of realizing like, oh, like they can't hear anyone laughing, so I'm gonna be the laugher and like figuring out that system and stuff, that'll always be burned in my brain as that was how covid started so like stand up and covid are very linked to me i guess
1: i think yeah i mean of course like anything was especially like to me like i think you touched on something where i was like i had a flashback because like when it's the you know shows start studying down i remember so many comics were like getting all facebook mad and being and this is why i'm not on facebook i can't handle this type of shit anymore but like they were getting all facebook mad because they're like three Two weeks or like, I think at that month, they're like thinking three months or whatever. They're like, I, I'm going to like, I'd rather die than not perform for three months. And I was like, dude, you're, trust me, I've heard your jokes. Like, not no one should die over mm. your jokes. Like, it's not worth it. But the, the level, and I think ultimately, though, um, to be a stand-up comedian, you do have to have some ego like there yeah. is and I, i'll admit it like we're like i'm definitely an egotistical person uh because like you're getting up on stage and wanting everyone to listen to what you have to say all because you have a microphone or you you know you're that person yeah right so that has to have some level of ego involved and i think it really came out who's were like a little too inflated when covid was happening so i think like it's always stand up in covid especially like how stand up is like having to adapt mm. or like concerts, like I always felt like concerts and stand-up, like, yeah, they're kind of the same in the artist sense and performative sense, but, like, you know, people go and want the same songs that they heard on the radio. Sometimes with yeah. stand-up, they get mad if you do the same jokes, and it's like, what'd you think was gonna happen? Like, yeah. we have to do the same jokes. Like, mm. we have to, to, like, hone it in, especially if you're, like, recording for a special or you have an audition, you're gonna do the same jokes. So, mm-hmm. like, it And so, like, I think it's always different. And I think that's why stand-up was, like, I think hit a little – like, was hit a little harder with COVID than, like, let's say concerts. Because you could just, like, watch that shit on TV. Like, people are live streaming and playing the piano. But, like – and you're fine with that, right? Or, like, Mm -hmm. singing. but And verses, like, took off. But can you imagine a verses with, like, stand-up comedians? Yeah. That would be so awkward. Like, that would just be weird.
0: Did you – have you tried – doing stand-up online uh like zoom shows or anything like that or are you staying away from it
1: um i'll do it when asked but i don't really go look for it um right now personally i'm sorry my cat's saying hi um i personally (laughs) am taking kind of like a a little break in the sense of like I'm focusing more on writing. Like my girlfriend and I are writing partners, so we're trying to pump on some scripts. But um, yeah. I've done a couple Zoom shows. I definitely and I mainly agreed to my first Zoom show because I was like, I want to be able to say I did it and be able to mm-hmm. like, if it's bad or if it's good, like I don't want to say that I missed out on something mm-hmm. because this is a historical time. And so um I I did it, I personally I think if it's a variety show it's a lot more fun. And from my experience yeah. those are ran a little bit better than just straight stand up shows. Mm-hmm. And I've done both and I'll like I'll say yes to both but my personal uh preference is is variety shows. Like I was on this one show um where there was like part burlesque and there was someone who was on roller skates with the in and like clown makeup uh-huh. doing dances on the pole like they had a stripper pole and like when would i have seen that in the real world probably never so like i think zoom shows (laughs) do i i think zoom shows are great in in um the accessibility that they're providing for people that they may not normally get to see stand-up or like entertainment um i i'm excited for when things get a little um more developed i think that's Mm. because when covid first happened and zoom shows People are still playing with it. Yeah. Now it's getting a little more experience where people are coming up with different ideas. People are understanding like share screen, like coming up with different material. Um, and like for me, like I've joined a writers group, and I've never really did writers groups when we weren't in person. So mm. like now I'm doing a writers group with like other stand up comedians that I probably wouldn't have had the time to work with in real life because they're in L. A. and then our schedules are different. So for me. I'm I'm kind of liking this. Do I want it forever? No. Do I want yeah. something better developed for like especially like you know the dis- um uh the disabled community or like people that may not be able to go to shows? Like I'm excited mm. for the future. I don't think Zoom is as bad as people are making it out to be. Like yeah, you can't hear laughs, but like is that really different than when you do an open mic when there's <laughs> like two people or people who don't care? Like since since when were we so hung up on laughs? like, is it, like yeah. those are never guaranteed anyway
0: yeah i think there's like depends on people's style some are very much in the mode of i don't get anything out of it from what i hear and as i've been interviewing people they're saying they don't get as much out of it in the way of learning what bits work and how to develop them and things uh but then other people are the kind of style where they have to do that at least like once a week so that they just it's like if you don't use it you'll lose it kind of thing i think they're worried about but i think everybody's different and because we kind of yeah. went heavy and deep on, on this episode, I can just ask you. Some people, I get a vibe where I just shouldn't ask it, but what is your worst stand-up memory or the worst show you performed on? I'm um, curious about that.
1: Um. God, okay, there are two. Two that stand out, and I've done comedy, I what did I say seven years now, two that stand out and I think will forever be burned in my mind. One, mm. Um. I almost got enough. Well, actually, I'll... I'll end with that one so one um i was on this bringer show and i i don't want to name names because i don't want to get in trouble but there were like seven i didn't know how much of a bringer show it was right Mm. um but I, i knew it was a bringer show so i brought like and i had i was still living in sacramento i brought friends um who i had friends that went to school down here like my elementary school friends and like one of the perks of having friends for so long they like they'll they'll vouch for you they'll roll deep like she like she brought all her friends, like my friends brought their friends, right? So I had like I think I brought like 17 people and I think the minimum wow. requirement was 10. Yeah. Right? That's pretty impressive. Can I do that now? Mm-hmm. Probably not. But like when you're from out of town, right? And you haven't seen your friends in a couple years, they're all going to get excited. So like I was able to bring 17 people and mm. it was uh there was a total of 17 comics. There yeah. was no there was no list. Right. I mean, the room was not it was like maybe 80 percent capacity, but there was no like order list because the Mm. booker said that they didn't want people to leave like after their friend goes up, they didn't want them to leave. So it's a surprise for everybody. So Mm -hmm. I was 16th out of 17 because I brought Mm. so many people
2: Uh and
1: she had like celebrity drop ins. So it was like the bringers would do like five minutes and then the celebrity drop-ins could do anywhere from like seven to 15. By the time it, so Sarah Tiana actually went up right before me. Are you Mm, familiar with Sarah Tiana? I'm not. Oh, she's, she's hilarious. Mm. She's fucking hilarious. And I think it was like maybe a year or two into comedy. So this was like the worst thing that could have happened. So (laughs) she goes up right before me, crushes, crushes for like 12 minutes. Right. And like, at that point, it's already been, like, at the two-hour mark. Mm. So, like, everyone... And you can feel it in the room. They were getting tired. Saratiana Tiana comes up, crushes. And then they're like, okay, she was on for a while. So, this is the... Hell, we're, we're done, right? And I even was like, are mm. we... I didn't go up yet. Like, this is kind of fucked. Then mm-hmm. they call me up. And so, yeah. I have to follow Sarah Tiana. They only gave me, like, five minutes. And, like, you know, for me at that time, I made a decision... Like, because when you're when you're in a situation like that, you kind of have to reset the room, right? Yeah. Because they're they're tired, they're kind of pissed you're alive because they wanna they thought they're going yeah. to go home. And so, and if yeah. you only have a five minute set, like I was still so new, I didn't know how to break open the room again or like address the elephant. So I just ran my material and bombed so fucking hard in front of my 17 friends mm. and all these dangers. <laughs>
2: i had forgotten like i I had forgotten
0: that there's you started the story with you brought all these people and and it's like your hometown reunion and i was like happy and now i'm remembering what i asked you was your bad memory so
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so i bombed so hard because i just went through my material and of course like as i was going up to the stage i felt people being like why the fuck are you going up we just sat through two hours of this Mm. right because it wasn't all good people like it was like (laughs) bringers who typically are still very green and like celebrity drop-ins and then so i yeah it's a weird mix the closer yeah so the closer went up so like bringer shows terrible fucking terrible still hate them mm. um but the one that like was kind of the one of the worst shows i've ever done was like at this uh sports bar in the middle of like it was between sacramento and the bay area like either like backerville or fairfield or something like it's like not Yeah, it was like in that weird little middle spot where it's still like in the in the cut. So it's like pretty conservative. Um, Did a a show. And like the guy before me, like I ended up closing it out. But the guy before me was like, he did like seven minutes about dicks, right? Like Mm. legit, seven minutes about dicks. And, like, even made fun of this one guy at the bar who was obviously intoxicated, like, basically talked shit about his dick. He was loving it. Like, because if you're talking about dicks, it's so funny. It's so great. Like, no Mm -hmm. punchline. Literally just dicks. Like, the word dick. And it was like, ha, ha, ha. So I go up. And then I start doing, like, my regular material. And then I mention the gay thing. And then I just felt everything, Mm -hmm. like, just turn. And it's happened before. And, like, it's normally okay and I can get out of it. But, like, it was really weird because, like, even one of, like, one of the audience members there, was, like, maybe three or four, like, legit audience members and everyone was just, like, bar patrons. But, like, one of yeah. them there was, like, yeah, we don't say, like, we don't say that. She couldn't even say gay or lesbian. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, like, how tense that shit was. She's like, we can't say that. And she was gay. Like, she came up to me afterwards and thanked me because she was, like, in the show, she was, like, I can tell she was gay, but she was like, Yeah, we don't we don't say that here. And so I was feeling a little hmm. awkward. And then the this the g- drunk guy stood like started talking shit. We started going at it, uh, secure like no one was having my back, right? And then he stood hmm. up like he was gonna try to fight me. And I fucking hmm. I like he was because like it was getting heated. Like we were gonna like, some shit was gonna go down. And then he stood hmm. up and I like m- uh, made a joke about how like it, see this is what i mean about, like i'm not proud of this but this got me out of the situation right i made a joke about how like he like shouldn't be driving because like he's drunk and like as an asian person i'm telling him he shouldn't be driving
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: right not proud of the joke
2: mm-hmm.
1: but in mm-hmm. that audience it killed so then right. there was like because <laughs> there's a group of like these like biker gang dudes and the bartender the second i did that joke everyone started laughing and then they mm. started to kick that guy out but until that point yeah. they were going to let that dude fight me and so like and then i i because i saw the i saw fucking red dude and i don't remember anything <laughs> and i just started like yelling at him and, and then then the whole mm. asian joke came out and then that's when i won and then i and then i I ended it with basically being like, I'm sick and tired of like white men telling me what to do. I'm not putting up with that shit no more. Like I fucking lost it. But it was like, it it turned, it was like one of, and like a comic, like this is how fucked up it was. A comic was when the guy stood up, he brought out his phone. So like, I mean, I know like we're not supposed to do gender roles and like sexism and shit, but like, I'm a woman right Mm. and like you're a dude and all you can do when you saw this other grown dude about to fight me you pussed out your (laughs) phone like my girlfriend she's like she's like five two she was taking off her jacket and then this (laughs) dude busts out his phone (laughs) so like i mean i and it's not like I don't know. I, I'm, the, I'm in the camp of like even the worst experiences are great stories and they're great lessons. So I don't think there's really anything that bad. But mm. like those two things will always stand out because I'm just like, I. it was embarrassing. The most embarrassed I've been and the most angry I've been during a show.
0: Mm. You alluded to it before maybe and maybe we already burned it, but just a palate cleanser. <laughs> what was your uh, best stand up related memory?
1: I, I have two. I couldn't pick. <laughs> uh one of them i uh-huh, think yeah, I had this. <laughs> i had this corporate show um so it was like at 1 mm. or 2 p.m at this comedy club and uh my friend who worked at like it's like social workers like therapists for like that worked with like social agencies so they dealt with a lot of troubled kids um i yeah. went to like her like i got the gig Cause she told her boss I did stand up and I met her boss at like they're like uh, they were we we're doing wine tasting, so like mm. she was just like let me get you on the bill so I just hopped on like my friend was headlining and so I ended up just hopping on and you know corporate events are you got to be clean so even though the set had to be clean, um, it was performing in front of therapists who have gone through it all yeah. or seen it all, right it. Yeah. it was that different level of connection of like you can't say anything too dark and i think like and they laughed and they were there for any everything like every little bit they were there for huh. and like i it was amazing cuz they they're therapists like they they were all they were like mm-hmm. yeah like give us all their the only complaint they had was like they would come up to me and they're like oh i just wish you went um, you didn't hold back. And I was like, well, you need to talk to your because apparently the president is right there, so you need to talk to him. But yeah. that was like one of the best, the best shows. Um, because typically like this kind of goes into like the the issue I have with like Hannah, Hannah Gatsby's special. Hmm. I don't know if you got a chance to see that, yeah, yeah. but like you know, there's that argument of like, okay, is this real stand-up or is this like the one like a one woman show, right? Because she doesn't, yeah. like, break that tension um, and purposely mm. says it so. And, like, as a, a comic of color, like, a woman of color especially, I feel like, or a comic of color, I feel like we can't get away with that shit. We can't ever, like, if hmm. someone paid to see us or even just came to an open mic and saw us just telling our sad stories, people would leave.
2: Yeah.
1: We would never get booked on shows. Hmm. We have to as a stand-up, our job is to break that tension. Yet tell like mm. like uh Ida Rodriguez, that's why she's like she's one of my favorite comics, is because like even in her next Netflix special, she talks about, you know, being molested, being kidnapped, dealing with like racism, like all of this. Mm. Yet you're laughing through each part because that's how you, I think you can get that message truly across to different groups of people, right? Not just people within your echo chamber. And so like mm-hmm. I think Um, what I really enjoyed about that audience was like, I wasn't, I didn't have to worry about, Oh, this is too dark. You're going to feel sad for me. Cause they understood that I was making a joke from it and is, this is how I healed from it. So that was amazing. Um, and then also I was, I did a guest spot. Like, I think like the next year Ida came to Sacramento, I did a guest spot on her show on her weekend. So she was headlining, there's, you know, host feature headline, like those weekends, And so she let me do guest spots and the host, um, he was, he like just, he killed the room. Like the thing about hosting, if you're going to work hosting for clubs, like they have general rules, right? Um, Typically most clubs Mm. will tell you, and if you're a newer comic and you're trying to get club work, do not do crowd work like do not do crowd work in your audition it's very rare you'll get past it's harder to get past because Mm -hmm. crowd work in the show format is reserved for like the feature and the headliner like you're really there just to break open the ice give them those 10 minutes of instruction right like showing them how this is gonna go you're not there to make this about you yeah uh the host that weekend was not doing that he because he's a headliner so he was like Uh legit making it all about himself and like would start off being like, Why is why are you here tonight? And then like, you know, pointing and it was just, it was horrible, dude. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. And like I I I kinda like, this is my badass moment. Like I felt like the like such a badass because like I was sitting in the back with Ida, like right before I was about to go on, cause I was, you know, it goes host guest set. And then feature and headliner. So I was sitting in the back and Ida was watching this, and she turns to me and she's like, Hey, go up there and fix this mess. <laughs> And it felt like so you know what I mean? Like it was like such a yeah. badass moment for me to have like my idol tell like having enough faith in me to go f- fix her show. You know, to like yeah. that I felt like I was like, oh my god, coach put me in, like, yeah, yeah let's do this. Like, <laughs> like like that, that is yeah, still that like rules. one of one of the biggest highs. Yeah. To have someone like that be like mm-hmm. I, yeah, I still does she would does she remember it? Probably not, but it's still like it's in my diary. <laughs> it happened.
0: Yeah. For sure, you're just like, whose car are we taking? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The comic of the week this week uh, that Diana chose was Ida Rodriguez, and she was totally new to me, and then actually this whole group of specials on Netflix was new to me, and that's kind of like something had i'm kind of mad at the algorithm because who knows what i watch and it just never told me about it but uh it she has a one of the episodes of tiffany haddish presents they ready on netflix um so i watched her episode of that and she was totally new to me but you kind of alluded to it but how did you come to know about ida rodriguez
1: it was just walking into that that show because ida wasn't big back then mm. she was i mean I'd have been around for a while she's definitely done some stuff but especially in sacramento where it's like mostly white and like conservative like you're not she's not gonna she's not as well known as like probably in the more like um like latinx communities especially uh-huh. right so like it was really just timing because I, I i would hang out there and like just get drunk with the staff <laughs> like that was my life it was like mm-hmm. go work at like so you know fold clothes and then go you know like watch comedy and it was just that weekend and i saw her and i ida is um the type of comic as like you can see with like tiffany haddish using her space to like give it to her friends right ida is definitely the type yeah. of comic where like she sees someone she wants to help them and so like for me she saw like that i was a newer comic i'm a female and like she knows what this industry is like mm-hmm. so you know she like was always like so kind to me like i came and saw her the next year. And she remembered, she said hi to me. And I hadn't seen her in a year. We haven't talked. Our interaction the year before was literally like, I loved your set. I think you're great. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. And she still remembered me. So like that just Mm. kind of, you know, comedy is kind of wild like that, I think, where you just get to Mm -hmm. meet these people. But yeah, it was just by chance. And then I've been following her career like ever since.
0: The whole feeling of that, set and then i I let it play into the next one and they have little intros to the each comics episode of that tim uh that tiffany haddish collection of them that show and then the things they're talking about uh when ida rodriguez introduced her she her little talking head interview she talks about um tiffany haddish said to her whoever goes first throw the rope back uh and now she's doing that basically like the other metaphor would be like don't pull up the ladder, like keep it down so other people can come up where you're at. And I think there's like a sincerity to that series and Tiffany Haddish putting that together that um, for me, and then like I'm trying to broaden my horizons of comics I encounter when I, as I do this podcast and then people suggest new people to me. So if they suggest somebody I already know about, I say like, do you have another one or do the other option? And then like, just to be honest about it, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to see a lot of Latinx or black, uh, comedians as much because the the algorithms and then my own comedy fandom history is leading me towards all like white dudes so and i don't think we can ever see that kind of sincerity and something that uh, a very white leaning co- comedy special or something would put together they wouldn't be like nothing i feel like nothing can be sincere and they wouldn't really help each other as much and be more competitive does that's, that's something i thought about that whole series but her episode too
1: yeah. And I think that's kind of like, um, they in comedy, especially in the more like marginalized c- groups or like the comics that are, are more marginalized. They, um, there is like kind of a little bit of a kindred spirit because we, the industry overall is not nice to people like us or welcoming mm. to us. So like we get excited what, like the, I, I met Grace Jung when I was down, um, uh, since I moved here and she, like I, when I met her and sh- I saw her at a, um, I used to co-host an open mic at Inovino and she came in and I knew nothing about her. She went up and said she was Korean and I like lost my shit. Like internally, Mm. like I lost my shit because I was so excited to see someone and relate on that level of like, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to like constantly mm. like deal with these white people who are gonna try to pigeonhole you or like make you do those accents. Those are the only ones that are gonna be successful, right? So like mm. to, to meet those people and I think that's where that sincerity and, and um that, that that comes from is because like we've gone through the struggles and like we know that we're only stronger together, as opposed to like I think it's mm. not even just like a white mentality, I think it's a very American mentality of like the whole capitalism of like only one person can be on top, like you know, mm-hmm. step on the little people to get there, and not realizing, especially in a in a um, a, a medium like comedy, there's enough for everybody. There really mm-hmm. is. Like not not every not every person only has to have one comic that they like. Like you can expand it completely. And I think it's it's good to like really open your world to like all these different comics because yeah, you you get. I think it's just. It, great because comedy is that thing where like you get to see these stories and like I still like get chills like watching Ida special mm. because especially in the beginning in the intro part where she was like oh I started comedy because when I was homeless like that was my thing like I was home not, sorry that was my thing as well I should say not that she like stole that from me <laughs> but um uh I was <laughs> yeah I was I was homeless too because like my parents found out about the gay thing they kicked me out mm. I the girl I was dating like we ended things like it was me and my hamster and she gave me a hamster. I didn't go out and want a ham. Like legit, it was a <laughs> yeah. breakup lesson. So it was like me living in my car with the hamster, and like, and like I just everything she said. And at the end of the special, like she says her full name, and she's just like, I am what I am because mm-hmm. the you know the hood loved me, and like. You just every like to me like that her special is like a piece of art like everything like you mm. the way she was able to like go into those deep like dark topics and still make a joke yeah. out of it and get the audience on board and like you said like that level of sincer- sincerity and like I also became a huge Tiffany Haddish fan because like of that knowing that she kept her word because a mm. lot of people say a lot of shit and they don't actually follow through but I also read Tiffany Haddish's book so if you're like into uh reading her audiobooks and you're looking for a book to to look into like you get what kind of how genuine tiffany is and like why she is the way she is through her book because she's gone through so much shit and i think that's that's what it is is that Mm. we've gone through so much shit so we know like we're all stronger together
0: yeah the other thing i thought was really interesting about that set is how She talks about being a translator for her grandmother her whole life growing up. And she does, she'll she'll give you the premise and then give you the punchline in Spanish. And then the two crowds, there's like two crowds in that one audience because the people who understood the Spanish first, they laugh first. And then she says it in English and the second group of people laugh. And like, I'm somewhere in the middle where I can like, I can guess kind of what she said, it's too fast for me, but I have like enough high school Spanish to know that word means that or whatever. So I, I I get all the curse words, and I'm like, okay, I think I know what's coming. So it's a really interesting way to play with who your audience is. And then she references the fact that, like, there's a lot more Latinx people or, I guess, Spanish-speaking people in the crowd for her set. So I thought that was really yeah. interesting.
1: And I, I, I think that's what also um – it's so weird like i relate to her so much (laughs) i'm not Uh i'm not puerto rican or dominican or spanish speaking uh but i just related i i related to her so much because like she 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 did her people proud i think i think her Mm. because for me like also it's so crazy to hear bts on the radio yeah because like Use, we used to like when people come up to me and like be like oh Ching chong you like that's so common right I'm used to being made fun mm. of for sounding different or speaking different or saying something different and like to hear it on the radio where it's so mainstream and for Ida to go on Netflix and and do that yeah. and so many people do um okay and this is this is terrible but I I love Gabriel Iglesias. I I love him he's also one of my early like favorites. I was disappointed in his last special though Mm. because I felt like he did the translating thing, but he didn't do it in a, let me make the translation still part of the joke, like make it flow Mm -hmm. better. Like versus Ida who like had no shame with being like, I'm speaking Spanish. You're either on board or not, but don't worry. Like you can still laugh because I will translate for you. Uh So like versus like, I think Gabriel did a lot of things in his special where he was like, in his earlier specials he never really translated he was like you don't get it you don't get it but you can understand the context of it so you'll still laugh yeah this last special i kind of felt like he was like he'll like say a word and he's like oh but it means this and it felt very Mm -hmm. like i don't know it felt more like you're trying to like excuse the fact that you're speaking spanish like you shouldn't apologize for that like Mm. we're out of it's 2020 like we've been depressed for so long with like our languages like we should be okay to like say things out loud and like so. I'm personally trying to like work on that in my set and like talk about the Korean experience that I I was going through, but also like add Korean words and not mm. be ashamed of it. Because for so long I was so embarrassed and ashamed. And like mm-hmm. watching Ida special, like really like switched on that switch for me where I was like, don't be ashamed. Just lean into it. If they're gonna they're gonna catch up, but they're not. Like you cannot waste your time trying to please everybody just go for like who's there for you
0: well that's great that's a good way to wrap up the comic of the week and then and the episode really is there anything you want to plug or people you want to shout out
1: i no i just i thanks for thanks for having me on um i guess like i guess i would i i'm i really am kind of like yeah thanks it's kind of cool to talk about like this experience and like also talk about ida because like i i don't you know a lot of Comics. I feel like Ida should definitely be one of the top like comics in the world. Um, I think it's only a matter of time. Mm. Uh, and then like I guess I should shout out my girlfriend because I know she's gonna listen. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I, I mean, if um, if anyone like, I'm mostly uh, active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the medium I have picked because I like pictures. Uh, so it's at Well Hong D. But um, yeah, just if mm. you like, follow me. That's pretty much all I ask.
0: Yeah. Yeah for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking time and, uh, yeah, everybody just have a great day. Thank you for listening to don't sit in the front, please rate and subscribe and leave me a review. You can follow the show on Twitter with the handle don't underscore sit or don't sit in the front, all one word on Instagram. Our music is composed by Chris Helking and our cover art is provided by memory bloom studio. Thank you so much for listening and just remember to always punch up and keep swinging.